Welcome to The Workplace, where we're hot on the trail of what makes great workplace cultures tick and what we can all do to make the ones we work in better. I'm Andrew Scarcella. This mini-ep, mini-ep plus perhaps, we're back at it, digging into the O.C. Tanner Institute's ongoing research on how the pandemic is impacting people, organizations, and the workplace cultures that tie them together. Here to help us wade through the data is Director of Research and Assessment at the O.C. Tanner Institute, Alex Lovell, who you might remember from his first appearance earlier in the season, when he came on to talk about the 2020 Global Culture Report. Alex was interviewed by me via video chat, so apologies for the audio quality. Someday, we'll be back in a proper recording studio, but until then, let's just get to it. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm so great. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm okay right now. <laughs> yeah, okay is... Uh, okay is great right now, right? I mean, right now... And there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of emotions being felt. 2020 has been kind of a brutal year um, for most people. <laughs> I mean, I saw the funniest meme. It said 2020, and it was like written by Stephen King and directed by <laughs> Quentin Turd, you know. Wow. And then the Yellowstone's earthquakes, you know, are starting to... We don't have to get into the next uh, disaster. Let's just focus on the most... the. The original disaster of 2020. Great. <laughs> or let's just call it a crisis. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has you know, impacted almost everything. But since we are a workplace culture podcast, uh, I wanted to have you on because your team, the OC Tanner Institute, has been conducting weekly pulse surveys around workplace culture for what? Two months? Three months? Twelve weeks now. Twelve weeks. Okay. Um, what sparked the decision to start doing these weekly studies? Or was it just like a sense of duty as a researcher to document this? That's, yeah, that, that's a great question. We we had a lot of conversations when we were leading up into even OC Tanner going to work from home because of this evolving crisis where we know nothing about, really. I mean, if you think about it, we, we still know nothing because it, it's just so unpredictable. Uh, we, we got together as a team, as an institute, and there is a part of just, I mean, I like to say that I have like a researcher side and I have a human side and the human side is what like I feel emotions. <laughs> that, that's how I relate to people. And then the researcher side is a much more cold, like, you know, there is a duty to, to understand, to ask questions, to record, to explain. Uh, and this is a type of event that hopefully is like once, maybe twice in a lifetime at that, like, you know, never in a lifetime would be preferable. Um, and there were a lot of outstanding questions, just how organizations were going to respond to it, how they were going to still motivate their people, how they were going to overcome a really incredibly difficult crisis with a lot of unknowns. Because we know when organizations go into crisis, they have, you know, they have a large toolkit um, that they can operate off of, uh, you know, a large amount of plans. A lot of organizations have contingency plans, emergency, you know, preparedness plans, business continuity plans. Maybe not for this kind of emergency, though. 
And that's the whole thing is that this, this was not something that a lot of organizations were just like, okay, ready for pandemic um, planning. Let's activate the pandemic response line. A lot of organizations were in a playing field that they had no preparation for. Yeah, they're probably more prepared for that earthquake that's happening in Yellowstone. Apparently, we got we got through that in a day. <laughs> we had we were back to operate full operations in our building within a week. Oh, geez, I wasn't even thinking of the the Salt Lake earthquake. That was uh, for the for the national audience, uh, for our, uh, international and uh, inter-universal audience. There was an earthquake in uh, downtown Salt Lake City, and our headquarters was. Uh, damaged, let's just say. Yeah, and and you know, not just that earthquake. There's a lot of been there's been a lot of earthquakes. There's been fires. I mean, you know, natural disasters happen. Those types of emergencies happen. Yeah, they don't stop during a pandemic. Yeah, well, and like well, we can almost call them like traditional emergencies or traditional, mm-hmm. you know, exogenous events that disrupt your um, workplace culture. Um, a pandemic was not on the top of the list for a lot of preparation. Yeah. So at the beginning of the pandemic, when it was first hitting U.S. soil, things were changing almost too fast to keep up. Has it settled down at all, or are things still just as volatile and unpredictable? Uh, you know, I was asked this question last week, too, internally, as we were kind of thinking about the future of the Pulse survey, right? You know, funds aren't, lim- funds aren't limited. We can't just keep pulsing people weekly forever. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that we've, we've seen, especially over the past four weeks, but the, it started about six weeks ago was a, was almost an equilibrium where we weren't seeing wild swings week over week. Um, you know, a lot of people have kind of, you know, finally accepted the reality that, you know, we're, we're probably going to be working at home for those that are working at home, um, you know, for a long time for, I mean, they're, we just kind of got into a groove. A lot of people did. And so things stabilized. And a lot of organizations are really um, trying to think of the right word. A lot of organizations have been more conservative in their approach to returning to work, in their approach to kind of restoring quote unquote normal because of the evolving situation. So we've seen a, a significant period of you know, I don't want to call it stasis, but equilibrium where you have mm-hmm. some uncertainty, but you also have new routines, new norms that have developed that have kind of, you know, kept organizations in kind of a static phase. Now, last week I predicted our week over week data was going to continue to stay um, the same unless, you know, another type of exogenous event happened. And here we are this week, um, you know, with significant a change and disruption to a lot of different things where we're starting to see the data change again um, Interesting. in response to the evolving additional crises. Mm. Yeah, the protests, indeed. Um, man, so speaking of the, the most recent uh, crises, the, the, the protests, uh, fear has been a huge component of people's reactions to the pandemic and to, uh, again, all of this, as you say, exogenous events, which I love that word. Um, What are people afraid of these days? And how has that changed? Has this crisis has evolved? That's a hard question to answer in the span of probably this conversation. I've got all day, Alex. Uh 
I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. No, no. G- give me the three minute answer. The three minute answer. Well, I think, you know, I'll, I'll focus. I think um, the conversation surrounding the protests and this current thing, we owe a lot more time to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll focus more on COVID right now, which was interesting. So fear was definitely a driving force in kind of an individual's decision calculus on how they were going to react, what they were going to say. We saw fearfulness spike pretty dramatically over the first four weeks. And that fearfulness was mainly around fearfulness of my personal safety. Um, uh, You know, as as an individual, I'm scared of getting COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And and not only scared for myself, but I'm scared for my family and my friends. Uh, So we saw that that really pick up over the first two to three weeks, maybe four weeks. And then that kind of stabilized at a high level, right? When I say stable, I don't mean good, Um, but it stabilized at at a higher level and then fear didn't change for a while. Then we, we started tracking other types of fear, not just for one's personal safety, but one's financial security. Um, in the terms of a loss of a job or loss of income, um, you know, and, and we saw those pick up as, as organizations started looking at their long-term financial viability. They had to make some really difficult decisions in reducing their force, um, reducing um, hours. Um, I mean, all of those things, reducing benefits, reducing pay, those were all on the table. And organizations were, you know, you were seeing in industries organizations taking action and organizations actually stepped up and were fairly transparent. A lot of them were about, Hey, this is what's going on. And this is what, this is what we have to consider. Uh, that's another theme of your research, at least uh, uh, the ones, uh, the stuff that I've read is that of transparency and it's become this, you know, maybe the, the most important aspects of workplace culture these days i mean that's that's maybe overstating it there's so much is is important these days but it's that transparency that that i think is helping people overcome their fears would you agree i would say it's among the top What, what has been really interesting is these kind of traditional best practices that organizations should incorporate that leaders should incorporate already have almost become or been amplified by the crisis um in importance and in effect. Uh, transparency is one of those. Organizational transparency is critical, right? When you're, when you're as an individual operating off of a very little amount of data, you're going to start filling in the holes between those data points with your own narrative and your own story. That's just natural. That, that's a very human thing because we like to make sense of what's going on. Um, and we all have individual biases and, you know, perspectives that, that kind of change how we see events happen. Uh, so transparency is really critical because it fills in those blanks, you know, a lot more consistently. And so you don't have these narratives spinning out of control. Um, so it's, it's a really useful tool for the organization to kind of provide stability and confidence in a culture. But it's also really in, useful for the individual because they know what's going on. I, you know, we had one respondent in some qualitative that we did that talked about, you know, how, look, like, I might lose my job. I understand that. But I, don't, I just don't want to just, you know, my organization's not telling me anything. And so I just need to know, like, do I need to start looking right now? Do I need to start refreshing my resume right now? Um, because in a week, I, I'm going to be let go. I need to know that now so that I can just prepare. 
uh, it's a challenging time for everybody. This was a very, you know, well-spoken <laughs> respondent that was just begging for transparency. I just want to know whether it's good or bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, should, should I panic? <laughs> it's kind of the central question for a lot of the time then. And there's and, power in like having, you know, having that knowledge to then, you know, panic appropriately and say, hey, I need to, I need to get these things in order because this could, this has a very large chance of happening. Yeah. Uh, I'd just like to go back before we get too deep into uh, all the details here and, uh, and talk about what these pulse surveys are measuring. What, 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 what are the, what kind of data are you collecting? You said you had some qualitative data there as well. Um, yeah. What have you been collecting and uh, have you adjusted that as the pulse surveys have, have gone on? Fantastic question. So yes, uh, we have kind of a standard battery. You can think of kind of your standard, they've been questions that have been there from the beginning. Those are questions around workplace culture. We have our talent measures that we've talked about before in those mm -hmm. kind of six essential aspects. So we've measured each one of those week over week. We've measured engagement, um, likelihood to stay with your organization, or organizational satisfaction, burnout, um, a kind of a common set of COVID-specific questions. It was, it was actually really interesting. We, we asked those from the beginning, and you can actually see the infection rate that people um, report flattened to as the rest of the, the you know, nation, the U.S. and U.K. and Canada, they're all flattening. You can actually see that in our data, which I thought was pretty neat. So, oh, that, what a weird mirror you've got there. It, it, well, it's, I mean, as a researcher, like you hope that your research mirrors reality, right? That's yeah, kind of yeah. a, a big deal. If it doesn't, then you're probably, you should probably reconsider what you're doing. Um, so in this case, that was, that was a welcome welcome sign. Uh, but we also, every week, looked at different aspects within workplace culture. So we were looking at it holistically week over week, but every week we focused in on, on different kind of important aspects. Early on, we added a depression indicator, for example. It's, it's a self-reported measure of um, different aspects of depression. And we're able to kind of understand you know, how this entire crisis was not just inflicting burnout in people, um, but we also know that burnout is highly associated with depression and other, and other types of, um, you know, emotional and, and mental illnesses that people might exhibit, you know, in times of crisis. So we, we were able to kind of actually see uh, depression pick up and then stabilize too, you know, over, over the course of four weeks. We looked at transparency, we looked at um, different practices that organizations were implementing uh, you know, we were looking at recognition, um, you know, to see how organizations were leaning into the recognition programs or canceling them, and then what the effects that had on a culture. Uh, so, I mean, we have a considerable amount of data from a longitudinal kind of across time perspective on key measures, and then more focused um, studies every week on kind of a small, narrow point of view. How has recognition changed in this? pandemic crisis time is that's a good question is it down is it all around <laughs> <laughs> well so we saw organizations as they were kind of reassessing that financial you know viability you have to look at the different initiatives programs etc that are active in your organization and, some, and make some budgetary decisions we saw um you know organizations across the board cut um service anniversary pro you know <clears throat> programs that are celebrating some type of 
career achievement, um, above and beyond performance programs, uh, and kind of everyday effort types of programs. All three of those broad types of programs were down. Uh, and in those organizations, you saw can be very considerable engagement decreases, um, cultural decreases. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. I was talking with a, with a few, we were doing some roundtables regionally in the United States, and we've done some in Canada and the UK as well. Uh, we, um, I, was, I was talking with one of the HR uh, leaders at an organization, and we remarked at how HR leaders can sometimes feel guilty about investing in recognition when concurrently they're laying people off or they're furloughing people. And that's pretty natural, right? I mean, that, that, that seems on, on its face superficially like, wow, why would we? But in reality, you have a lot of people that are also dealing with survivor's guilt. That, that is really a real thing. You know, why, we're, why am I still working and my coworker is, has lost their job? Um, you know, that, that is a very common sentiment that we saw, that we see, you know, in times of crisis, period. The people that remain still need to be engaged. They still need to be celebrated. They still need to be valued and appreciated for the things that they do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, et cetera. So recognition is actually more important in times of crisis than ever. I've been feeling some of that survivor's guilt myself. I gotta, I gotta be honest. It's, I mean, that's natural, right? It's, again, as humans, we're, we're very naturally empathetic and we want to, we want to belong. We want to relate. Um, we want to, you know, feel significant with people, uh, right? That that's so inherent in our nature that when we disrupt a culture by taking people out of it, and oftentimes very quickly, <laughs> that leaves a hole in just that kind of ex- that that desire to belong. That takes some time to heal, and, and so you see things like survivors' guilt. You see things like disengagement. Um, you know, lack of transparency leading to really pervasive narratives that are damaging the culture. All of those things kind of pop up. Yeah. Well, we're both very lucky to be working right now, and especially working and being able to talk to each other like this. I'm so grateful. I, I, um, I, I, I can't even describe how, how grateful I, I am to still be working. And then really for working for OC Tanner, I, there's, there's a laundry list of reasons why I'm just so, so grateful for that because it's been a phenomenal company and, you know, technology. I'm so grateful for technology. I worked from home before. I don't know if I ever told you that um, in prior positions. And that was actually a contributing factor for, you know, why I left some of those prior positions because I felt so isolated. Interesting. And I had to get into the office. I never knew that I was actually such an extrovert. Um, I still think, I still disbelieve. I could have told you that, Alex. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, um, you know, getting in, in an office was just so invigorating and energizing for me. I was really worried about having, you know, no matter what, no matter, no matter the necessity, just moving back into the office or back at home was scary to me. Mm. Um, and video, I didn't realize the power of video. And let's be honest, you know, a decade ago, the power of video was, was <laughs> much more specialized and, and, you know, not everybody had access to it. Oh, yeah. It was, a, it was a, a, a laggy Skype call at best. That, I mean, you're right. The fact that we can even talk face-to-face has been, has been critical. In fact, in our research, 
um, that virtual aspect has been, you know, truly incredible on a couple different, you know, for, from a couple different perspectives. One of them is just to help teams still have that belonging together. That, that's absolutely critical, right? You want to be a team. You want to interact with each other. In fact, a lot of our remote workers that are newly remote have actually reported um, in, in these surveys and this research that they feel more connected in some ways to their team than they ever have before because you actually have to try when you're at work, right? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> things kind of happen naturally at, at the office, uh, but senior leaders too. So, you know, I, I was talking to, you know, one respondent about this and, you know, I asked, I'm like, well, how, you know, think pre COVID, how often did you see your senior leaders? The answer, not very often. They didn't hear from them. And really, the ones that they knew were the ones that they directly kind of reported into. Um, this crisis has required senior leadership to begin to build stronger connections with um, individuals across the organization in an inclusive way. And video has become a top medium to deliver these town halls on a recurring frequent basis that they can get in front of their employees on a weekly basis uh, to give updates. That has been critical for people. That has built a, that has directly impacted trust in their leaders, in their organization. Um, and it has almost humanized senior leaders uh, to become respected, not just kind of, oh, there are senior leaders, but like authentically respected, not just kind of automatically respected because of their senior leader kind of title mm-hmm. and in in a video call it feels like they're talking just to you even more than you know a um, a large gathering in a physical space you know you still mm-hmm. feel like part of the cloud you're, you're a crowd you uh might be a little disengaged on your phone and when you're when someone's looking right at the camera and talking to you it does help even though even though you know you're nowhere near each other it does help with that connection. It's, it's a strange and, and unexpected benefit. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, as you mentioned uh, near the beginning, your team has recently had to scale back this madcap weekly pulse survey schedule. Uh, what is your plan going forward? This, uh, this crisis is not going to end for a while. So what's your long-term plan? We're still going to be pulsing, just at a little bit of a less less frequent uh, approach to that. Uh, we uh, have a process that we've had in place for quite a while. It's kind of a monthly omnibus survey that um, different stakeholders from across the company and our clients and prospects uh, all participate in sending different questions to us that or you know problems that they're facing, and, and then we go out to our panel of employees and ask those questions. So we're going to uh, kind of put some focus on that um, monthly process and still surface these insights. Additionally, our, our global culture report for 2021, we're currently working on that. That should be released, if I remember, in September, early October, somewhere in kind of that three-week time frame. Mm-hmm. That's going to have you know some insight around culture and challenging times, just holistically. Yeah, you've been doing that concurrently with these pulse surveys it's amazing your your team is uh small but very mighty i and i you know i will argue with anybody i think we have the best research team 
Um, I have such strong individuals that are so different and and those differences kind of make it so that we work better together and we can fill in each other's weaknesses. We have an extraordinary team and they've demonstrated that week over week, over week, day over day. And they've done these, we've done these weekly pulled surveys on top of all of that heavy work from a, um, from a culture report perspective. That is a significant body of work that started in November of last year. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to having you or someone else on your team back to talk more about that global culture report dropping in the fall. Just to throw in yet another plug there. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Let's, let's not shy away from it. It's a huge deal. It's, it's still one of the only true workplace culture you know, annual reports out there. There's a lot of annual reports that address workplace culture, um, you know, but ours is very specifically focused on that. Yeah, that's a, a, a big read, but uh, worth digging into every year. Okay, uh, before we go, I just want you to take a moment and talk to the HR leaders out there, the execs out there for a minute. What is the most important thing or things they can do to keep their people and their culture thriving? There's a couple things. Number one, just, you know, there is an end in sight. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Um, And instead of trying to return things back to quote unquote normal, what things used to be, use this as an opportunity to shed as a culture, some of those things that as a culture you disliked. And, you know, as we come out of this uh, as stronger cultures, you know, put put a goalpost in mind to just go forward on some of your initiatives. Don't look backwards. Don't try to restore quote unquote normal because normal led to suboptimal outcomes in many things, right? But the work that organizations have to do on their culture is continuous. So instead of, again, returning to normal, look forward and just chart a path towards where you want your culture to be and, and just move on um, would be kind of the, the, first, the first thing. The second thing is that people really still want to feel valued even when you don't necessarily have the funds to do it as an organization. Um, just being deliberate in thinking in expressing gratitude in being empathetic, uh, that can go such a long way to help people feel appreciated for who they are and, and what they bring to the table. Not just about the work. Don't just focus on, Hey, thanks so much for getting that project on time. You know, look beyond that. Look at the person. Look what they uniquely brought to the table and, and recognize and value that. And that doesn't have to have a monetary component to be extraordinarily effective. It's very engaging and it realigns people uh, to the purpose, to what the organization is setting out to do just in the first place. Because my, my guess is that your organization was never meant to just merely survive. It was meant to thrive. And that is one of the most critical areas that you can just do right now. And it doesn't cost anything other than just getting people to do it. The third one is just, you know, take care of yourself. HR has a, you know, out of all the different functions and all the interviews that I've done. um, And, you know, I think we can all agree that HR people are usually are the fillers. They're the, they're the, they're the ones with the greatest amount of empathy anyways in an organization because they are there to care for the people. Um, that, that in and of itself can be emotionally burdensome. 
And I would just like to use this, op- this opportunity to challenge you to think of a way that you can care for yourself, um, even if it's small, so that you can care for others more effectively. Uh, if you're exhausted, then no matter what you do, it's just going to exhaust you further and it's not going to have the impact that you want. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to during your hectic schedule <laughs> to come on and, and talk to us about these, these findings, these learnings, these insights that are just so essential to help us get through this crisis. Just like to say you are our first returning guest. And I'd lo- you are also our first honorary FOP. You are a friend of the program for now now and forever. I love it. I, I will proudly wear that. <laughs> Get you your FOP hat. <laughs> <laughs> if you could put an order for that in, that would be crazy. <laughs> By the way, just like to mention, uh, I haven't said this to anybody in a long time, but your hair looks great. Oh, thank you. I, you know, just... While no one can really see me, I decided to play around with it. It goes silver. Why not? That looks awesome. Well, thank you. You're so kind. All right, Alex. We'll see you next time. That's it for this episode of The Workplace. This app was written and produced by yours truly, with original music and sound design by Daniel Foster Smith. The Workplace is sponsored by O.C. Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. O.C. Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, go to octanner.com. By the way, your hair looks great too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a bit of a ducktail in the back. It's like really getting long, but throwback. Not no, it's all throwback to prior styles. <laughs> prior styles of mullets in the 80s. <laughs> mullets can be cool. <laughs> we'll end it on that. Mullets can be cool. Alex Level.